And welcome to the Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation. I'm Lori Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. I'm Sally Gentry. And thank you, you right there, for listening. We certainly appreciate you. Coming up on the podcast today, a true inspiration. Inspiration indeed. We'll talk to a police officer who was burned in the line of duty and had tissue donations save his life. Wow, yeah. That's a great story. Wow. And we're going to also talk about sibling grief. Right, that and more coming up on this episode, guys. Our ask is that you share this podcast. We want to spur those healthy conversations. We want to make life happen, and you can help us do that. We're easy to find. Yeah, rate us, subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever your favorite podcast that might be. And don't forget, you can always find us on our webpage at thegiftedlife.org. And we know most of you have a social media imprint, right, Sal? Yes. Even you. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> All right. The Gifted Life Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're at Gifted Life Pod, guys. So um, a lot of behind-the-scenes things from this podcast. Um, you can go there, visit, like, follow us, all that fun stuff. We just appreciate you listening. We hope that you share, and we hope that you enjoy this ride that we're about to go on. Our guest awaits. So let's go. on The Gifted Life. We are so pleased that Jason Schechterly is joining us now. You may have heard about him, um, but I have to tell you, an inspiration, uh, why we do what we do. Jason, you're it, man. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Thank you so much for the kind introduction. I appreciate it. Well, we um, are sitting here, and, and when we say, Jason, like we just are, are brought back to uh, when you spoke to our, our LOPA group about your story. And um, we all remember vividly things we wanted to share with our audience. But I have to tell you, we were just at a, a college campus and we were trying to teach them about organ tissue eye donation. And uh, one of the guys on our tissue team said, you want to know why I do what I do? Like it fired up. You want to know why? Let's go to the burningshield.com. Burningshield.com. And this guy right here is why we do what we do. And I thought, man, that was so cool. And then you're here on the podcast today. So <laughs> uh, well, it's awesome to hear that because I love, I, I want people to spread my story around and give a face and a name to exactly that. Why, why do this? And uh, why do you do what you do? And why do people need to be concerned about the, or understand the gift of life? So that's, that's awesome. That makes my day. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you. And then I, I love how you say the miracle, the journey that you're on, you wouldn't change a thing and we want to walk people through it. Um, so take us back to 2001 Phoenix, you're a first responder. Um, and tell us about your day. You're going about it, fighting crime like normal. Yes. It was March 26th of 2001. I, had been a Phoenix police officer for a little over 14 months. And I was at work, had been at work for about eight hours, wasn't too far from the end of my shift. And I was involved in a very bad car accident on my way to an emergency call. I was struck from behind by an out of control taxi cab. Guy was having an epileptic seizure and doing an excess of a hundred miles an hour when he slammed into the rear of my patrol car. And it caused my car to burst into flames. And I, of course, trapped inside a burning vehicle, knocked unconscious. I suffered some very extensive burn injuries. But my first of several miracles was 
there was a fire truck in the intersection at the time that basically witnessed the crash and were able to go to work for me. And I was also less than three miles away from one of the best burn centers in the United States at Maricopa County Medical Center. So there were those necessary pieces of the puzzle to get me any hope of, of surviving. I had suffered burns to 43% of my body, my neck and face were the worst of it. They were fourth degree burns and fourth degree is down the last layer of the muscle into the bone. I mean, everything is, is burned and taken away. has to be removed. Uh, again, you're struck by a car going in excess of a hundred miles an hour and yes. your car bursts into flames. There's a, a fire uh, truck right nearby. So there must've been some of your colleagues, police officers that must've arrived on the scene at some point. There were actually very quickly two good friends of mine. They were only about a half mile away. And in the chaos of something like that, you, you hear things. They heard the impact. They saw the fire. They got there in about 30 seconds and were able to help. They had no idea what they were even coming up mm-hmm. on. And then to see it's a police car. And I've obviously spoken to them many, many times over the years. They're dear friends of mine. But for them to be thrust into that emotional situation, possibly one of their friends dying. And I don't care what uniform you're wearing, fight or flight syndromes that are real. And one of them right. into the car and helped get my legs and feet free. One wow. cut my seatbelt to help the firefighters. And it really did take uh, and a sincere effort on those six individual first responders to get me out of that car. And they did it in 90 seconds. That's amazing. Which is incredible. And then the the thing that I keep going back to, you should have died at the scene from all the medical experts, all the uh, information that you brought to us. You should have died at the scene, but you didn't. And you're here and you're helping to inspire hearts and um, hopefully uh, promote organ tissue and eye donation for those um, out there who is still on the fence. Like, that's amazing to me. You should have died at the scene, but you didn't. You got to the hospital and then you were in a medically induced coma two and a half months. For two and a half months, yes, medically induced, because they knew the the pain and the surgeries yeah. I was facing. But also, the doctors were very honest with my family. They did not expect me to survive. And not, not that first hour that I got there and not even the next several days or weeks. I mean, at any moment when you are burned like that, when you lose all that skin and tissue, the protective layers, the fluids, you're not expected to survive that. And I want to go back to something you said just a few minutes ago. Uh, thank you. But to, you know, to continue to work through my own adversity and try to inspire, inspire others with what you do every day and what people your listening audience need to understand. I've been able to accept that there are two very simple things that we need to do to be healthy and happy and successful in this life. And that's number one is to simply wake up. But number two, just be grateful. And I have so much to be grateful for. And I have constant things that happen to me that will take me back to my tissue donor Mm. and that family and make me think, Am I honoring them the right way? I'm so grateful for the life that I get to lead because I was lucky enough to wake up this morning and I want to pass that on to as many people as I can. Wow. Jason, have you been able to have any communication with the donor's family? Or Unfortunately, I have not. And okay. back in uh, 
I know who provides most of the tissue for the Maricopa County Burn Center mm-hmm. now. And but back in 2001, it was a different organization. And so many years ago, I'm not, I'll be honest, I haven't actively tried to find, but I think knowing the surgeries that I had, I wouldn't be surprised if I had multiple donors. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Right. So, so taking you back to those two and a half months, you know, so, so the public can understand uh, the severity and the importance you know, with, with your skin, obviously, is your primary barrier for against infections, you know, fighting infections. And, yes. of course, there's also uh, the portion of, of the skin in, with a burn uh, that hydration is a huge part, a huge challenge, a hurdle to overcome. And, you know, I, I worked in the ER, and of course, I've, uh, seeing you, you know, and, and of course, this, I, I actually was fortunate enough to watch you uh, speak twice and both times. I can't say how much you've inspired and, and touched me personally, uh, but seeing the, how severe your burns were, I've never, I've taken care of, you know, third degree burns and, and maybe up until fourth, but only for one limb uh, type thing. And then we would transfer uh, and for everyone to understand the, the amount of fluids mm. resuscitation that takes place it's almost insurmountable when you're talking about this huge, this uh, severe uh, a burn uh, in, in the situation that he was in. And then the, the challenge of infection, uh, I, I can't imagine. It must have been an ongoing fight of antibiotics and then, of course, you know, the, the donations and, and, and things that took place that helped. So can you take us some through those critical care times and, and then your surgeries? Certainly. You're exactly right about infections. A lot of times, burn survivors, if they survive the initial burn, they can live five, six, seven weeks, you hear, but then they will succumb to their injuries due to infections. And being in a hospital, you're susceptible to right. a lot of infections. You're, you can get staph, you can get pneumonia, and I mean, your body is obviously very vulnerable. I was burned uh, my entire neck, head, and face, fourth grade. I mean, they had to remove absolutely everything from my collar up. And you have attended my presentation. You've seen those graphic pictures. Mm -hmm. And I make a point to say that once I got to that point, after that first surgery of about seven hours, all of a sudden, it didn't matter so much what those firefighters did, the police officers, or even what the doctors had done. I had now gotten to a point where I did have only one chance for survival, and that's to become a tissue recipient because I had lost all of that coverage, all those mm-hmm. fluids, the necessary hydration. There is no way that I'm going to live without the donated tissue to help me through those initial surgeries and to protect me from from infections, give me the hydration. It, there's just so much that goes into it. Obviously, I've never been to medical school, but my doctors have, uh, but still to this day, they shake their heads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You're a miracle. You're well, walking around. So. And to hear you talking about all this, I'm just struck by the way you sound so 
can I say, accepting of what has happened for you. And I I can't even begin to imagine what the psychological effects must have been for you and and for your family. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? No, not at all, because I there's even times I think to myself, like, that it, maybe it's odd there, that I am so upbeat about it. There's In certain ways, I'm fascinated. Whenever I drive, I still live in the city of Kings. Whenever I drive mm-hmm. through the intersection where it took place, I find myself hoping that I'll get caught by a red light so that I can sit there <sighs> for 30 or 60 seconds oh, and yeah. visualize what happened, what those firefighters did, what those police officers did. I, I, I was knocked unconscious. I didn't see it, but I've heard uh-huh. the story in such detail. And I'm fascinated by what they were able to accomplish and what they did for me. And again, I'm just grateful. I'm thankful all the time. And so many things have happened throughout the course of my life since then. So many milestones, so many things that I have gotten to experience that I wouldn't trade for anything. Yes, I was burned. Mm-hmm. My appearance was so significantly changed. I mean, I carry a tremendous amount of, of scars and disfigurements. I travel all over the country sharing my story. I go through airports. I have to go to restaurants. I feed myself. I check into hotels. I'm, I'm constantly facing my own adversity, mm-hmm. but I can always find a reason to be thankful. I can always find something to motivate me and inspire me. And I've been so incredibly blessed by all the people who contributed to my survival and my success. And That's you know, walking, w- walking my daughter down the aisle, having another baby oh, wow. after, the, after the accident. I mean, yeah. that's all you need mm. to shift your focus is some perspective. Mm-hmm. And I've even thought, I thought the day that I walked my daughter down the aisle, it was January, 2018, it's a pretty uh-huh. short walk, and I was very caught up in the emotions, but I did think, wow. who is my tissue donor, and did that person get to do this? Uh-huh. Did that person get to experience what I am? I can only pray and hope that they did, because uh-huh. it's a moment in time that makes everything else completely Absolutely. worth it. My goodness. Um, so, obviously, we have lots of questions to, to get to you, um, but I want to talk about your um, eyesight um, because during your talk, what got me is that you said you, you couldn't see for a time and, and, and please clarify and all that. And then you were grateful because you didn't think you could handle it um, at that time when you were in the hospital and, and seeing what you looked like at that point following the accident. So um, take us back where you are now. I understand that, you know, you can function normally. Well, yeah, going back to that initial waking up from the coma and trying to even come close to wrapping my mind around what I'm being told, what's going on, not understanding why I can't open my eyes or why I can't move. And slowly, day by day, getting a little more understanding. And I'll always remember the most claustrophobic, terrifying thing I've ever experienced. And and the worst part of the process was my blindness. But Mm. I was able at some point in my life, and I don't remember if it was five years ago, 10 years ago, but I, I became, again, thankful for the blessing that I was not able to see myself that day because recovering from that mentally would have been a very big challenge. Mm -hmm. And my corneas were severely damaged with the heat and the fires. So my blindness was the 100% darkness was due to, they covered what was left of my eyes with skin grafts. And Mm -hmm. they opened those about nine months later. 
uh, very, very blurry vision. But after going from complete darkness to seeing at least light and colors again was an incredible sensation. I was able to start working with the doctors and they accomplished a lot, everything from using my own blood because our bodies heal themselves the best. Mm. And I would put blood drops in my eyes and stop the scarring, rebuilt my eyelids. And I got to back to where I was wearing contact lenses, two in each eye, soft and a hard lens. And, and I got back to where I could drive, go to and from work. I was working as a homicide detective and investigating these detailed murder scenes. So they accomplished a lot as time has gone by. And I've gotten a little bit older. The My right eye, it doesn't blink or close. The, 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 I just have no muscles, tendons, nerves, nothing on the right side of my face. And so my eye has been exposed to the elements all these years and the scarring finally took over. So I did lose my vision in my right eye, but I'm not a candidate right now for a corneal transplant because I don't have the proper coverage. And thankfully my left eye still works very well with that hard lens in and I can still see Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, to drive and to read and to text and answer my emails. And again, I just every day I'm, when I wake up, I can see something. So it might not be 2020, Aww. but <laughs> I, I shouldn't have even had right. the sight that I do for the past 18 years. So I I hope it lasts a long time, but I'm, I'm definitely not going to complain. Well, your will to live and, and you're just enduring all this is just a, a phenomenal uh, act that, that you've gone through and more power to you for being so strong and being able to handle all this. I mean, that's it's just a fantastic story. And I'm sure you wish it wasn't one that was having to be told, but at the same time for you to share this sort of information is just, just fantastic. Well, thank you so much. And I really give credit to so many people around me, my support system. I was, it, it, it's humbling, but I was completely set up for something like this because I did have the career that I wanted. I was 28 years old. I had a wife and two kids. I had my parents and grandparents were still alive. My friends, I had so many people lifting me up. And once I was able to give way to my vulnerability, I mean, I went through a lot of dark times. I'm not going to lie. Sure. I, I, yeah. there, were, there were so many tears. There was so much anger. There was so much fear of the unknown and, and being reduced to nothing as a 28 year old man was, was incredibly mm-hmm. difficult. But once I was able to give way to that vulnerability and give up control and let the people who loved me and supported me take care of me, then things started to improve greatly. And again, all these years later, I can reflect on that and be so thankful. And all these people, some, you know, my family has uh, moved on. My father passed away uh, almost two years ago. My grandparents, have passed away, but they, the circle of life has gone the way it's supposed to. Mm-hmm. And I'm deeply appreciative mm-hmm. for that because working in the, in the world that we do with tissue, organ, and eye donation, you see it all the time. A lot of people aren't that lucky. They don't <sighs> get the circle of life. And, and I, I, I've gotten it so far. And so I'm, again, always appreciative. And, and we certainly appreciate you. I can tell you, you know, we, we help families, donors, uh, families through the, initial grieving states and and of course we get a lot of inspiration from them oftentimes we don't uh get to interact with uh recipients and and get to meet recipients uh 
you know, simply uh, because of the logistics and, you know, with, with transplant centers and things like that. But I can tell you your story. There's, I have so many colleagues out there uh, throughout the country who've, uh, we've talked back and forth uh, numerous times about you and your story mm-hmm. and how inspiring uh, you are to us. And, and, you know, I know this wasn't the path that you were initially planning, but I can, I can certainly say that the path that uh, you ended up on was, was certainly one that has an impact on so many people. And I just want to thank you uh, for that and for being so inspiring and paying it forward like you do. Well, thank you very much. It's certainly not the path I've chosen, but I think all of us, all of you, I'm sure you can pull up some pictures from your past 10, 20 years ago and think, wow, wouldn't it be bad if I could write a letter to that person and let them know know what's coming. And uh, of course, I would have never dreamt I'm going to be who I am today, where I am, doing what I'm doing. But I mean, we can't make those plans in life, of course, because they're going to change. And I love that you at least mentioned you. I have so much respect for you and your colleagues. I could never imagine dealing or working with the donor families because the you have your own adversity and then you take on other people's and you see it. I, I sincerely thank you for, for that. But that is why I love going and sharing my story mm-hmm. to the OPOs and the tissue banks around the country, because I do want the staff. I do want everybody from the people who answer the phones and dispatch to the people in the, in the room that are properly packaging everything all the way to the doctors who are recovering organs and mm-hmm. tissues to let them know, Hey, look at what has happened. Look right. at what you do. Don't ever get lost that it doesn't matter because I, and hopefully I can be the, the face and the voice for, I can't imagine how many millions of people are out there right now who are thankful. Mm-hmm. You are good. You are life. very, very good at this. And you talk a lot about the, you know, those, those physicians, doctors that do the recoveries, but it's not even just us in the recovery world and the physicians. Uh, but there are others that you've impacted like, uh, like coroners. You've recently come to a Louis, the Louisiana coroners collaborative and, and, and presented to, to, to them. And we've gotten such good feedback. And I can tell you, you know, they also don't get to see, uh, that side. They, they are also immersed, you know, in, in the death and grieving and they don't see the benefits firsthand. And, and for them to see uh, the impact that, that they have by releasing to us so that we can recover, so that people like you can, can receive that gift of life, is it's just it's a much more far-reaching than, than even, you know, we can even imagine. Yeah, coroners, investigators, and then you were a law enforcement yourself. So that shows them another side of it. So um, that's that's incredible. Thank you. I loved going and sharing my story with that group. My first time to Lafayette. And yeah, the, I felt so empowered before I even walked in the room thinking about who was in there. And, you know, first of all, we're all just human beings. We all have a story. We all have things that we've had to overcome and get through. And we, we know that something else is coming. But to share my story start to finish and then to get 
you know, when I'm talking to other law enforcement officers and sharing what my peers and my friends did for me, not just what I went through, mm-hmm. but what my support system did, because they might be faced with that or they have been and they can reflect on how they helped somebody who was injured in the line of duty or what am I going to do if it happens to me all the way up to, yes, I went back to work. I wasn't going to give up on my career, but then I was a homicide detective. So I got to see the incredible work. I mean, detectives, they might not talk about it every day, but rely so heavily on the expertise of the coroner in the investigation. And it is a very difficult world to to work in every day. And you have to find your, your reasons, your, your Mm -hmm. love, the, the, the importance of it. And then you also have to find some humor. And I mean, you know, from my presentation, we might cry a little bit, but we're going to laugh mm-hmm. a lot, I believe, very much in humor. So that was a that was an incredible audience because I got to touch on every aspect that I'm so passionate about, not just life, but the the careers that I believe so much in and, and to give thanks for what they're doing and maybe just uh, hit the reset button for a second and remind, yes, this is why I do what I do. And, um, you know, when you spoke to our um, LOPA group, we were just like, man, that's just one cool dude. <laughs> and um, I like to talk about, you know, the women behind the men. <laughs> and so as you sat there, like the whole time I was thinking, man, that's tough for him, right? And then tough for your parents, grandparents, that kind of thing. And then I was thinking, man, you have a family at home, and how this yeah. impacts them. So, um, you know, whenever there's a tragedy, it just depends on your seat at the table, like how you view things. Um, h- tell us about that and how that worked for you and, and your family. Well, I think everybody would agree with me when I say it is easier to go through something than to watch somebody you love go through. Mm-hmm. When you don't have control, when you maybe are helpless, you watch somebody that you love suffer and then add into it your own part of this. You know, mm. I've, my, my wife, for, for us to be not that far, you know, four and a half years into our marriage mm. and to have two kids at home, her responsibilities were, were huge. And then she's seeing my, the change in my appearance. Am I going to live? Am I going to die day to day? I truly, I can't imagine, but her love and support was what, was so important. And I mean, when I woke up from my coma, just the strength and calm tone in her voice was huge. I mean, it's almost like I knew that I was okay, just simply Mm -hmm. by listening to her. And then to have my kids and have something bigger than myself to live for, of course, it had a different effect on, I was Mm -hmm. the youngest three on the baby. So my mom was devastated Mm -hmm. as I would be. I have three kids and I, I look at my kids and I'm like, if that, ever happened to them. I don't know that I would handle it. But I also love the all these years later, if you were a fly on the wall in my house, you wouldn't know anything ever took place. I mean, my wife and I have been together for a very long time now. We have the same hopes and dreams that most parents. We have the same struggles that, I mean, marriage isn't easy. Mm-hmm. I don't care. <laughs> Life is perfect. Mm-hmm. Marriage is difficult. And you throw in something like this mm-hmm. and it makes it that much harder. But we have the same 
arguments. We have the same discussions about our kids and she has a career. I have my career and we just make it work day to day. And I like to stress that to people too, because I know that people sometimes get caught up in my story and I'm sharing the, the bad parts are my, you know, my injuries and, and some of the pain and the pictures and what that was like. And everything I talk about with my family is, is the good stuff because I love to brag about them and I love to show off what, what they've accomplished. But I mean, it's, there's no such thing as a fairy tale. Mm -hmm. It It is difficult, but also you talk about the women behind you. My daughter is who I'm just the most proud of. She's 25 years old now. She was seven years old when this happened to her mm. and she's 25 now. And not only is she married and I believe going to be a better rounded person for what she went through, but she is in a doctorate program doing developmental child psychology because oh, she that's great. wants to help children that were affected oh. by the trauma similar to her. Wow. And yep. so, so much good comes out of it and her life is better because of what she suffered a long mm. time ago and i'm very proud of that it, it gives me the perspective every day wow. just another another layer so you had two kids before the accident and then you had a child after yes uh my children a seven-year-old daughter and my son turned three when mm. i was in a coma and then we had a baby 18 months after the accident, he is about 16 years old. Wow, you're dealing with a teenager too? <laughs> I know. Just Throw that in the mix. And, and yeah, he's uh, and he loves his life. He, we talk about it a lot. He's a very compassionate, humble young man. He's very appreciative. We talk a lot about being an organ and tissue donor. They all, all my kids, uh, they're already signed up for it on their uh, licenses with the state of Arizona. Mm -hmm. But they understand that aspect of it and yeah i'm going to be an empty nester already and i'm young i think other people might not think i'm young but i think i am and in two and a half years he'll go off to college and then wow uh i'm going to be sitting there going hmm, what do i do now uh, and you get to see all that you get to experience and dad exactly. i need more money for my meal plan and parking <laughs> college a new oh, car that's the fun of parenting. It's uh, it's never ending. Every day is something different from one. But I'm so glad. I'm thankful for every day. I don't. Uh, I'm not missing out on the people that they are becoming. And it's a great thing to, you know, I have simple goals every day of going to a meeting or going into a store and just want to leave places better than I found it. And it's a great ingredient for success. And mm. I love to look at my kids. And I'm very blessed that they've turned out the way they have. But even if my life ended tomorrow, I'm going to leave the world better than I found it because of them. And and that's that's an awesome feeling. Mm -hmm. I, well, you're a much. great inspiration to your children. I mean, just to see oh, what you do. They don't through. tell me that very often. <laughs> <laughs> my goodness. I have enjoyed visiting with you again and uh, getting to pick your brain a little bit more. Uh, we appreciate you sharing your story. You are one of the reasons we do what we do. People want to get in touch with you. They want to learn more about you. Where would you send them? To my website, burningshield.com. If you, the, my email is all over the pages and okay. I'm the only one who gets them. They come directly to me. So I'd be happy if anybody did that. I'm, um, my last name, it's kind of hard to spell, but I'm on Instagram and Twitter, Schechterly underscore Jace, J-A-S. And uh, my book is available on Amazon. And I want to thank uh, 
all of you and all of your colleagues listening, not just for having me on the show. I really appreciate you giving me this platform, but I really want everybody to know the importance of what you do does not go unnoticed and it does not go unrewarded because every day I get to live a life that is because of so many people who did so many different jobs back then. And I'm, I'm very thankful to all of you. Wow. I love it. Now, look, we're getting hands waved and all this stuff. And they said, you've got to read the book if you haven't read the book. So I'm assuming <laughs> the book title is Burning, Burning Shield. Shield. Perfect. Yes, uh, Burning Shield. And I'm very proud of it. It took me eight years and three authors to get this mm-hmm. book right. Oh. But the author, Landon Napoleon, he did an incredible job cap- capturing everybody's voice that was involved. The firefighters, the cops, the doctors, my family. He really documented everybody's perspective and what they they did. And it's just, it's a compelling story. And it's it's fun to, to be able to travel around and, and share that. So yeah, I think you'd enjoy the book. Awesome. Well, we enjoy meeting you in person. We enjoy visiting with you. Thanks for what you do. Thanks for the positive ad. Like we're all smiling like this guy's cool. Awesome. Like (laughs) I want to have that outlook. How amazing. Um, Now your last name spelling, you might want to go to burningshield.com. Check that out. <laughs> you, you can look at it several times. It's Eleven letters, and it's not easy. That's right. Well, Jason, we certainly appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Thank you so very much. It's that time on the Gifted Life podcast to give our own Sally the floor. Right, Joe? Yeah. we Of course, we're talking about grief, but this time we're going to be focusing a little more on those that are overlooked during the grieving process, the siblings. Mm-hmm. That's right. You know, one of the things that, that thanks to a co-worker that reminded me the other day that very little is talked about, we talk about parents that lose children and spouses or, you know, grandparents, whatever the case may be. But we just don't talk that much about brother-sister death. Mm, And so when I started looking into this, I found some information by Dr. Christina Hebert, um, or maybe it's Hybert, excuse me. Um, And she said one of the things that she started researching was because of her clientele that would come in saying, I just really kind of feel like I've been left behind, and I don't know why. I don't know how to talk about this with my parents or, you know, with my other surviving siblings, you know. And so she said when she looked into it, she found very little information, too. So she started really delving into it and said it's often misunderstood not only by the parents but by family and friends and counselors because most of the focus is on a parent mm-hmm. that loses a child um, or the children of a parent and to the spouse of an adult sibling. Um, but then what about the other siblings? They're, they're kind of just left out there on struggling on their own. And many times uh, as a younger person, my sister died and I couldn't understand what was going on because my parents just could not talk about it. They were mm-hmm. having a very difficult time you know, themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's been, most of this has been overlooked in the uh, literature um, because even mental health counselors have problems understanding it and knowing, well, how do I talk to this person now? But, and you know, kind of my thing, you guys, is we all go through losses in life. And sometimes we do forget the relationship factor. 
But then I kind of go back to also the point that when something leaves us, when someone leaves us, uh, and however that may happen, there is a grief factor that does come into play, again, regardless of the relationship. So I, I don't know, would you address or does one address, you know, a, a sibling differently than you would if it was, you know, the, the mom or the dad, this sort of thing? Um, and I think that it's just something that, that people have not really thought much mm -hmm. about because do, do we differentiate out that much mm -hmm. difference there, okay? Mm -hmm. um, but I know, too, that, that many times, like, I know for my mother, she just kind of retreated into her own grief, and then Dad got busy in his business. And mm -hmm. Because, you know, back those days, and even today, you know, the women are much more emotional. Men don't want to express their grief, you know, like women will do so. Um, and that's not all the time, but it's expressed in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, but I was very lucky. I had a lot loving, caring aunt uh, that started explaining things to me and told me that I was valuable and, and what, you know, what my life could be. And I thought, wow, if it hadn't been for her, mm -hmm. uh, things might have turned out a whole lot differently. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I really owe a lot to her. So, and I think other people probably find that, too, that they've found others in mm -hmm. their life when something like this similar has happened. Um, but I know, know that just experiencing death as a child, that it does become a lifelong process of you know, figuring it out, knowing where all these buttons or triggers mm -hmm. or whatever come from. And then once you kind of get to that, then, you know, you, you kind of know where you need to go with life. Yeah, I'm um, thinking back. Uh, we just did a, a podcast not too long ago um, about Savannah Smiles, and they had started a grief camp um, for siblings mm -hmm. that have experienced um, death in some way, shape or, or form. And one of our families, um, that was their concern. I'm dealing with my own grief. How do I help my children there you go. that lost yeah. A sister, and so um, so it was a tough walk, and still and, is. Well, and you know too, I, I was looking for different resources, and there's very few that I could find um, that do. Uh, you know, except for what we talked to Emily about for her daughter. So I'm wondering if other folks here in, in everywhere might be listening to us. Are there resources that you're aware of for families that, you know, for their kids, for, you know, brother, sister, if you know of it, we sure would like to hear from you about it. All right. Good topic. You want something um, covered by Sally? Info at thegiftedlife.org. Shoot us a message. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today's hero, Brittany Kale. And her story comes to us from her mom. Raquel Gonzalez. And Raquel is also uh, an ambassador with One Legacy in California, and she helps promote organ tissue and eye donation. Raquel writes, one night I remember having a chat with her and she said, Mom, are you an organ donor? I really wasn't sure where she was going with the conversation, but she pulled out her new driver's license and showed me that she was, and we were just chatting about it, not being very serious. She said, Mom, if I ever die, I want my eyes to be donated because they are my best feature. I told her, whatever, okay, okay, let's just not talk about this subject, because she wasn't going to die before me. Who knew that three months later I would have to be faced with this decision? I tried to think back on that moment, but it is very blurry. I just remember being brought into a small little room, and her doctor and another lady were there, and they started talking about allowing Brittany to be an organ donor. 
She was young and healthy, of course, and if I had to make that decision, I know I would have consented, but I'm so very grateful that Brittany had already made that decision for herself. It is not a decision any parent should have to make. If you would like to know more about our hero stories, please go to our hero stories section at lopa.org. At this time, we pause and say thank you to Brittany for the gift of life. question and answer segment today here on The Gifted Life. If my child puts that little heart on his driver's license indicating he is an organ donor, as his mother, do I have to allow this in the event of his death? Joe? Well, I've got a couple answers here, but uh, essentially many states don't allow you to sign up until you're 18. Uh, But other states, such as Louisiana, allow you to sign up when you uh, get your driver's license permits at 16 or permit, yes. 16, 17, but it doesn't become legal until you become 18. So up until that point, uh, as a mother, you would still provide authorization. Yeah, and that's why we encourage discussions. That's why we um, are out in the communities. We're educating. Uh, we just went to a freshman high and they say, I'm going to go and talk to my parents about this, but my mom is not into donation right now. So we said, well, just bring home the facts, start having the conversations, right? That's where yeah. um, oh, that's right. we yes. think uh, that that is needed. Education is certainly the key. So we appreciate the question. If you have a question you'd like for us to tackle, info at thegiftedlife.org. And that'll do it for episode 105 of The Gifted Life. Yeah, special thanks to Jason Schechterly. Wow, yeah, you got that right, right? too. (laughs) Uh, Of course, for sharing his inspiring story with us, you know, going through such a tragedy in his life and then, you know, having a tissue donation and and being so thankful for it and then paying it forward to everyone else. It's really... He's been inspiring to us and, and of course, everyone, you know, in the industry that he's uh, that he's come into contact with. That positive attitude is infectious, isn't it, though? I like it. So if what you've heard has inspired you to become an organ tissue or cornea donor, please go to registerme.org. One stop shop. It's that simple. Now we hope that you go out and do something that you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. We're a team and we thank you for listening. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, Arlopa. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele, Joey Boudreau, and Sally Gentry. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. 